impossible to understand the type of person um, and the type of person you have to become to become a missionary in a place like Papua New Guinea and to do the work that Jason did, Jason and his wife. And, and the Bible says, give honor to whom honor is due. And uh, very much, uh, Jason deserves a lot of honor. Uh, our church, I'm with the church now in the Nashville, Tennessee area. And uh, we are looking at, we have some folks who started an orphanage in Sierra Leone. And uh, so we wanted to go over there and look at how we could possibly plant churches with this orphanage. <clears throat> because it's really become a big deal. And so our elders decided to send Jason with us. So I went over to Sierra Leone, Africa with one of our elders. And we brought Jason along as a uh, consultant to come with us. And then we asked Jason to stay there for a week afterwards, <clears throat> which he did. <clears throat> and he may not want me to tell you this, but uh, in Sierra Leone, they do eat strange things. And uh, Jason was willing to eat all the strange things. Some of which I won't mention. Right, Jason? <laughs> um, <clears throat> um, but it's just, it, by the way, it's really, it's just really good to, to be with you. Um, I met with the elders of the church here uh, Tuesday night, Kelly Carter and the elders. We had a really good conversation. Here's an interesting thing. I'm very committed to relational discipleship. Uh, many of you remember last fall, Jim Putman was with us. Uh, that door used to do that, by the way, in, from 1989 on, whenever you were speaking, so. Um, um, I'm very much committed to relational discipleship, which is uh, making disciples through relationships. It's loving people. It's building relationships and helping each other to trust and follow Jesus. Interestingly enough, Jason Moriarty uh, has the same conviction and commitment to it. Uh, in fact, my church, we just hired a new youth minister from Real Life Ministries in Post Falls, Idaho. And when I said I was uh, going to be here today with Jason, Thad DeBure said, I know Jason. He went through the training with me. And uh, so it's a really cool connection. The reason I mention that is that um, for the last eight years, I've been um, the senior minister of the church, but I've also spent a lot of time helping start new churches. In fact, our church... Through what I've done, we helped start a hundred new churches uh, in the United States. And in May, I stepped down from doing that to devote my energies to our home church. And the it's called the Relational Discipleship Network. So I met Tuesday night with the elders. And uh, we talked about ways that possibly this church could be a part of that network. In terms of the training that will be available. In terms of the collaboration for church planting. And also in terms of uh, raising up young men who could have internships in places like Post Falls or possibly our church in Nashville and places like that. And then come back uh, to Canada and help really implement relational discipleship. Because the church plants that are implementing it really grow fast, really impact the communities, do a lot uh, for the community. In fact, uh, let me just say this, that one of the things about relational discipleship, because it's all about relationships, is it's all about serving the communities. Uh, Real Life Ministries, for example, in Post Falls, Idaho, they're the primary social service agency for the whole county. They uh, do more than any other organization except for the government in terms of taking care of people. And I know that you all have a real heart for that kind of thing, and so it's very much a part of relational discipleship. So I hope that we can continue to have a partnership that way uh, as the years go by. Well... When I uh, had the opportunity to speak to you, I thought, what one thing could I share that's real practical? Uh, because 
practicality for most of us is where we live our lives trying to follow Jesus. So I said, you know what I'm going to do? I would like to share with you this method of Bible study that we use that is really important. So um, let me ask you all to make sure that you have a Bible. Now, there's Pew Bibles, and I checked them out, and it's the New International Version. Uh, so if everybody can get a Pew Bible, what I'm going to do in uh, just a few minutes is I'm going to have us all read together. We're going to read a chapter of the Bible together this morning. And uh, I'd like you to do it out of that Pew Bible because it's all the same translation. It's the New International Version, which is still probably the most popular translation. Um, so make sure you find it. Go to Revelation chapter 1 because I want to take a book that you might think I can't understand that book. And I want to show you a practical way that you can still understand something out of the book. Okay, so while you're turning there, and uh, if you could put the PowerPoint up, uh, I'm going to give you just a little bit of background. Since I left Calgary, one of the things that I've had the privilege to do is kind of work broadly amongst uh, Bible-believing churches in the United States. Um, One of the things that I did in April is I worked with the Willow Creek Association which is an association of all kinds of Bible-believing churches in Canada and the United States. And they published a study that just came out that has a really interesting finding that I'd like to try to connect practically to your lives. And that is this. They studied over a 1,000 churches and over 300,000 believers. So that's a lot of churches. A 1,000 churches, over 300,000 believers. And they um, have been doing this for about 10 years with the goal to try to find out how do people grow? How do churches enable people to grow spiritually? Okay? And uh, there are five character traits. I think I'm supposed to do this. There's five character traits. And uh, if you'll look on here, it's, it's hard to make sense of it, but all the stuff that is on there isn't as important as the one thing. And I don't know if this is... Whoops. Okay, I think we're here to worship, but we'll go back. Just There we go. Okay, um, so there's five character traits uh, that they looked at to determine how do people grow and how does the church do it. By the way, it all ties in with relational discipleship. In fact, relational discipleship has more to add to this than they found. I don't have time to explain that right now. But the five character traits are, number one is they get people moving spiritually through the infant, the child, the adult, the parent phases. They get people moving uh, they take care of the local community. It's called pastoring the local community. What a great opportunity this church has to pastor this local community and to take care of the local community. Uh, they create ownership. They The leaders lead with a Christ-centered heart. And then the fifth character trait is the one I want to focus on this morning. It's called they embed the Bible in everything. So let me talk to you about embedding the Bible in everything. Now, um, there's a passage in the Bible, and it's... Uh, Second Timothy chapter 3, it says, All Scripture is God-breathed and useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness, so that all of God's people may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. You can all see that right there. So what they say out of the study, and I'm trying to just boil this all down for you. In fact, let me just stop there before I go through those three points. The, here's, uh, as best I can tell, what's going to happen to Bible-believing Christians uh, over the next 10 to 15 to 20 years. This is true in Canada, and it's true in the United States. You all know that in Canada, Christianity is declining. 
the only uh, groups that are bucking the trend are people, churches that are really committed to the Bible and get people in the Bible, conservative Roman Catholics, and Mormons. Um, Mormons, if you don't know, uh, they're great people. Um, I love them to death. I played football with guys here at Lord Beaverbrook High School who were Mormons. But they don't follow the Bible. They're the fastest growing uh, group in North America. When I say they don't follow the Bible, I mean that they add to the Bible and they corrupt Bible teachings. Um, so what's going to happen over time is the groups that will be the strongest will be groups like the Mormons or the Roman Catholics who have liturgies and institutional practices, or it'll be those people who get into the Bible. Now, what's happening is less and less people are reading the Bible. When you look in the United States, for example, over the last 10 years, out of the 50 United States, 49 saw a decline in church attendance. The only state where more people are going to church is in Hawaii. You might say, why Hawaii? Here's why. There's a guy named Wayne Cordero and uh, Ralph Moore, and they've started all of these churches that are getting people into the Bible like never before, and there's a real revival going on in Hawaii. Now, let me tie that into what I want to talk to you about now. Here's what they do. They follow this method. It's called the SOAP method. Wayne Cordero talks about it in a book called The Divine Mentor, and they literally have all of their churches, all the people in the churches in the Bible and practicing things like what I'm going to talk to you about this morning. So, I believe this. I believe that faith comes through hearing the word, and the word is the word of Christ. The more time we spend in scripture, the more time we orient our minds around the things of Jesus, and the more likely we are to live out our life. Now, we, God's plan is that we would do that in community. There's three parts. There's God's part, there's my part, and then there's the church's part. I want to talk to you this morning about your part. And here's how it looks practically in a church. They make the Bible the main course of the message. On Sunday morning, the Bible should be the thing that we're talking about, that we're focused on, is what the Bible teaches. Uh, they take away excuses, put the Bible into people's laps, create many opportunities for congregants to interpret the Bible as possible, and then they model Scripture as the church's foundation. The Bible should show up as fundamental to the church and its leadership in everything that you do. Okay? That's the background. Bottom line, here's what we're saying. The most important thing you as an individual can do, regardless of the church, regardless of the leadership in the church, the most important thing that you and I can do is develop this habit of being in Scripture and in prayer every day. And one of the most important things that the church can do is to help you and I to do that. So I want to share with you a method that's going to take 15 minutes a day. How many people, if you really wanted, could, could give 15 minutes a day? Okay, let me ask, let me reverse the question. By the way, not everybody put up their hands. <laughs> this is a problem. Let me reverse this, this thing, because I find this everywhere I go. How many of you honestly can say that you read the Bible on a daily basis? Now, many of us read books about the Bible, but we're not reading the Bible. And so the Bible itself is really fundamentally important to read. And what I find is that rather than describing people these big schemes to read the whole Bible or things like that, if I could tell you this, that you could read the New Testament in one year, if you will give it four or five minutes a day to read, Monday through Friday, 
And that you would just do that and you'd read the whole New Testament in a year, but you'd also read it meaningfully and it would really help you personally to grow, what would you say to that? And if I said, just give me 15 minutes a day, how many of you would say, yeah, I think I could be willing to do that? Okay, that's less than uh, robust, but let's go with it. Okay, so I want you to take the outline and uh, we're going to go through the SOAP method and uh, we're going to talk a little bit about that. Okay, so the first thing is to commit to a daily time. Does everybody see that outline? Uh, I recommend in the morning, for most of us, the day just gets crazy. Uh, and if you can do it early in the morning, that's going to be your best thing. Okay? Secondly, you want to select a good translation of the Bible. There are two translations that are probably going to be the most important ones. The first is the New International Version. Everybody has that uh, in front of you. That's what we're going to read in just a few minutes. Uh, the second one is a new translation that is more and more popular with younger church leaders. It's called the English Standard Version. And I would recommend that you get a study Bible of either one of those. I've switched pretty much to the English Standard Version of the Bible. You want to commit to read one chapter of the New Testament a day for five minutes. On the back of this, I've actually given you a summary. So if you take Monday through Friday, so you take Saturday and Sunday off, but Monday through Friday, you're going to read the New Testament. You're just going to do it five minutes a day. You read the whole New Testament in a year. The fourth step is this SOAP method. And this is what uh, Cindy and I have been practicing. This is what we're getting our church to practice. And I think it's the best practical thing out there. So you look at it and you say, SOAP. How many uh, in here are doctors or nurses? Doctors and nurses will use this. They'll go subjective observation, objective observation, uh, and so forth. That's not how we're using it. Here's how we're using it. So there's a scripture. You read the chapter, there'll be one scripture that stands out. Why does it stand out to you? That's your observation. After you've had an observation about it, then it's an application to your life and then a prayer. Okay? I'm going to explain that. In more detail in just a second. And then you want to pray, have prayer with a specific outline. So go to the next page. It says at the back, simple reading and prayer reflection guide. Okay? So this is, if you were to take Matthew chapter 1. Let's say I'm going to read the New Testament. I'm going to start with the Gospel of Matthew. I'm going to take Matthew chapter 1. Well, when I read through it, here's what stood out to me. is in Matthew chapter 1, verse 19. It says, uh, because Joseph, her husband, this is talking about Mary and Joseph, because Joseph, her husband, was a righteous man and did not want to expose her to public disgrace, he had in mind to divorce her quietly. Why did that stand out to me? What's my observation about it? Well, Joseph was a righteous man because he wanted to do the right thing. That's what righteousness is, to follow God's law. But he also did not want to publicly embarrass Mary since she was pregnant, so Joseph initially thought from another man. So he's trying to do the right thing, but he's trying to be discreet. Here's the application. Like Joseph, I want to be a righteous man who follows God's laws. I want to be the kind of person who is devout and earnest to obey. But I also want to be the kind of person who is gracious with those who do not follow or obey God. That combination, pursuing righteousness, but being a gracious, merciful person is my ideal. And then you pray about it. Does that make sense, everybody? Okay, let's practice this together. Let's all read Revelation chapter 1. How many people here feel like they have a good handle on the book of Revelation? Just raise your hand nice and high. Okay? So guess what that does to a lot of people? It makes you say, well, I can't understand the book of Revelation. I'm not going to read it. But you know, the book of Revelation is in the Bible for us to use. So let's all read it together. 
New International Version. Okay? Now, this is your part where you have to participate. Okay? Let's go. The revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave to show his servant what must soon take place. He made it known by sending his angel to his servant John, who testifies to everything he saw, that is, the word of God and the testimony of Jesus Christ. Blessed is the one who reads the words of this prophecy, and blessed are those who hear it and take to heart what is written in it, because the time is near. Now, good start there. By the way, there's a blessing. Notice the promise. There's a blessing to us when we read or hear the book of Revelation. I want that blessing. I want every blessing I can get. Okay? So let's keep reading it. Now I want to ask you this question. As we read it together, and some of you, if you have a different version, just follow along, okay? Um, You'll get more out of it if we all do this together. So let's read it together. I want to ask you this question. What verse stands out to you? One verse as we read it through this morning. I'd like you to pick one. We're all going to, uh, I'm going to have you raise your hands and tell me which one stood out to you. Okay? Verse 4. John, to the seven churches in the province of Asia, grace and peace to you from him who is, who was, and who is to come, and from the seven spirits before his throne, and from Jesus Christ, who is the faithful witness, the firstborn from the dead, and the ruler of the kings of the earth. To him who loves us and has freed us from our sins by his blood and has made us to be a kingdom and priests to serve his God and Father. To him be glory and power forever and ever. Amen. Look, he is coming in with the clouds and every eye will see him, even those who pierced him. And all the peoples of the earth will mourn because of him. So shall it be. I am the Alpha and the Omega, says the Lord God who is and who was and who is to come, the Almighty. I, John, your brother and companion in the suffering and kingdom and patient endurance that are ours in Jesus, was on the island of Patmos because of the word of God and the testimony of Jesus. On the Lord's day I was in the Spirit, and I heard behind me a loud voice like a trumpet which said, Write down on a scroll what you see and send it to the seven churches, to Ephesus, Smyrna, Pergamum, Thyatira, Sardis, Philadelphia, and Laodicea. I turned around to see the voice that was speaking to me. When I turned, I saw seven golden lampstands, and among the seven lampstands was someone like the Son of Man, dressed in a robe, reaching down to his feet, and with a golden sash around his chest. His head and hair were like wool, white like wool, as white as snow, and his eyes were like blazing fire. His feet were like bronze glowing in a furnace, and his voice was like the sound of rushing waters. In his right hand he held seven stars, and out of his mouth came a sharp double-edged sword. His face was like the sun, shining in all of its brilliance. When I saw him, I fell at his feet as though dead. Then he placed his right hand on me and said, Do not be afraid. I am the first and the last. I am the living one. I was dead, and behold, I am alive forever and ever. And I hold the keys of death and Hades. Write therefore what you have seen, what is now, and what will take place later. The mystery of the seven stars that you saw in my right hand, and of the seven golden lampstands is this. The seven stars of the seven angels of the seven churches, and the seven lampstands are the seven churches. Okay, now we read that, and a lot of people are thinking, 
blah, 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 lampstands, angels, blah, 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 stars. Okay? But there's also things in there when you read it that you probably picked up on and said, hey, I get that. Let's go through. How many people would pick the one verse that stood out to you to be verse 4? How about 5? Just one. you got to pick one, by the way. You can't, you know, abstain. Uh, seven. Seven's a cool verse. Eight. Okay, Jeff's got eight. Kevin's got eight. Nine. Ten. Mike's got ten. Eleven. Twelve. Thirteen. 14, 15, 16, 17, 18, 19, and 20. Okay? Good. The, the, did I skip six? How many of you have six, Glenn? Good, that's a popular one, six. Uh, I picked verse 18. Now, let me tell you why. I have a lot of conversations with people who say, you know, Christianity is just one way to be saved. Muslims are going to be saved their way. Other people are going to be saved if they're Buddhist or Jewish. Anybody ever have those conversations? Have people who think that way? Or is it just me? Okay? And uh, I, I always try to think biblically about these things. And here's one of the verses really helpful for me. It says, you know, I know there's a lot of opinions out there, but guess what Jesus said? Jesus said that he holds the keys to death and Hades. Hades is the realm of the dead. Jesus holds the keys to death and Hades. So whatever everybody else thinks, I, who cares what they think? Jesus said that he holds the keys. So in my devotions, when I wrote that down, the scripture that stood out to me was verse 18. So I wrote it down. Verse 18. I wrote down my observations about it. Whatever anybody says, I know this. Jesus holds the key. When I die, Jesus holds the key. When I'm going to swing out on my deathbed, Jesus holds the key. That's my observation. That's my application. And I want to help everybody I can to have that same view in life. And then I have a prayer. Now, I want to commend to you a model of praying that's on the back there. It's called the Lord's Prayer. Okay, Now, I use the Lord's Prayer as an outline. Here's what I've learned over the years, is that when we pray, we tend to pray selfishly, right? I'm going to read my Bible, and I'm going to pray, and what am I going to pray about? I'm going to pray, Lord, you know, help me lose weight. Lord, help my kids. Lord, you know, help my day to go well. I end up praying a selfish prayer, and I, I think everybody tends to do that. We're just wired that way. So if I have a prayer model like the Lord's Prayer, which we could probably all say right now if we wanted to. Okay. So I start, Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. What does that mean? That God would be held holy today. So I start off praying, how can I hold God as holy today? How can I watch appropriate movies? Uh, I pray for my children, that my children would be holy. I pray as a church leader for our church, that we would be holy people. I happen to believe that holiness is one of the most important lost doctrines of the contemporary church. There is no fear of God because we do not appreciate His holiness. So I start by praying, as Jesus taught me to daily, may your name be held holy. 
Then uh, I next pray, your kingdom come, your will be done. Now, I believe that there's two senses of the kingdom. The kingdom's already here, but the kingdom's not yet here. The kingdom will be fully consummated when Jesus returns. Between now and then, I have to do works of the kingdom. I want to reach lost people because that's the, I want to see God's kingdom expand. I want to take care of the environment because the environment is a part of God's creation. And one day it's all going to be renewed and redeemed. So I want to take care of the environment. I want to live out the kingdom life that God intended. Then thirdly, I get to be selfish. Give us today our daily bread. So I pray about, Lord, give me this today, that today. Help my kids, uh, you know, help me, you know, do a good job on the stock market or whatever I'm doing. You know, it's okay for the next 24 hours. These are the things I'm just going to submit to you. The fourth part is then forgive us of our sins. Now, let me tell you why it's really important to specifically ask God to forgive you of your sins. There'll be a burden, there'll be a a little gnaw, there'll be a barrier between you and God if you've committed sins that are unconfessed. So when you explicitly say, God, forgive me for being lustful. God, forgive me for losing my temper and saying what I shouldn't have said to Andrew Lim. God, you know, you fill in the blank. Is everybody with me? So there's four parts of the prayer. The fifth part is one of the most important parts. Does anybody here struggle with bitterness? Does anybody struggle with resentment or hurt of things that have happened in your life? Okay, there's three honest people. You can't live life long and not be hurt. Okay? And sometimes we get hurt and we forgive that person. But guess what happens? At least this happens to me all the time. Those old hurts come back and I have to re-forgive. So every day I ask God to forgive me of my sins and then I explicitly name the people that I am forgiving and releasing for things they did to me or things I experienced even if it was 20 years ago. Because if you don't, you are going to struggle with resentment and bitterness in your life. And then you move to the next phases and you pray. The last part is, Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. I explicitly pray that God would keep me away from temptation. Because I'm a sinful man. And I need to pray every day for Satan to stay away from me. Now, here's what it does. It takes 15 minutes to do that. I read through a chapter, find one verse in there. That's my scripture. I write it down. I write down my observation. I apply it. And then I pray through the Lord's Prayer. Here's my statement to you about that. If you will do something like this, regardless of whether you've been a Christian for 50 years or for five months, this will really help you to grow. And I don't see any reason why every one of us can't do something like this. Now, let me give you some applications for for your life. I can do this as an individual, whether my church is strong or my church is weak. I can do this as an individual, whether my wife does it with me or not. I can do this as an individual if I'm following Jesus with a group or by myself. The best way to follow Jesus is with other people. So here's what I would do if I had children that were elementary school and above. I would say... And uh, by the way, the dads should lead the way on this. But if dads don't, moms, you'll need to step up to the plate. 
I would ask my family twice a week, either before they go to school or at night, I would ask my family to do the soap method with me. I would say, let's take 15 minutes, okay? And let's read a chapter in the Bible. And I would read that chapter as a family. And if you have teenagers, and if you are a teenager, please forgive me for saying it this way, but teenagers are going to go, oh, I don't want to do that, Dad. Come on. My my kids, you know, you, you're not a bona fide teen unless you struggle with your parents leading you in devotionals. But parents need to go ahead anyway. So twice a week, at least, I'd, I'd say, let's read the Bible together. Let's read a chapter. Let's see which, which verse stands out to us. And then I'd just lead a simple prayer and finish up. Now, husbands and wives, if, if you are both believers, I can't think of a better way to unify you in your growth. You'll find things that you see together. And it's real simple, but you'll remember Scripture the next day. And the last application is uh, I believe that uh, orality and the, taking the stories of the Bible like you're going to do over the next year is the best way to do small groups. But there are some parts of the Bible that orality doesn't work for. And one of the things that, that is a really cool small group experience is that everybody in your small group says, we're going to do the SOAP method. We're going to read through, for example, the small group I'm in in Nashville. We're reading through the book of Ephesians together. And each week... Everybody is taking a chapter and they're following the SOAP method. Then when our small group gets together, we go through about four questions. First question is, what did you learn? What, what, actually the first question is, what, what verse stood out to you? The second question is, what did you learn about God? What does it teach you about God? What does it teach you about people? What questions does it raise? And the fourth most important question, what are we going to do differently because of what we've seen in the Bible? And then you pray for each other. That's it. I can't think of uh, anything more simple, yet more profound for each of our lives and our spiritual growth. Wayne, I'm not sure what time we're uh, to be done, but I'd like to to lead us in a word of prayer. Um, Actually, before I do that, let me mention something to you. By the way, they have some of these Bibles. You can probably get them here. Like I have a Bible that has margins. So when I do this, like I'm reading through the Gospel of Luke with it, and I underline it, and then I just write down S-O-A-P here, which is also a really good way to do it. Next Sunday, uh, after church, we're going to have a meeting for anybody here who's interested next March in going to Israel. I'm taking a group from my church. I did it last year. I've been to Israel a couple of times. And because I have so many friends here, I said, if anybody from the Calgary church wants to go to Israel, uh, we go for a, uh, we actually leave on a Friday and you get back on a Sunday. So you miss one week. And uh, if you're interested in that next Sunday after church, we're going to talk about it, I think, in the fireside room. And uh, it's just a phenomenal thing. Two groups of people uh, are blessed the most by a trip to Israel. One is mature Christians. Because it actually helps you to experience something you haven't before. My uh, my best friend in Nashville is one of our elders. He's uh, 55 years of age. And when we went to Israel last fall, he said to me, this has really helped me more than I ever thought it would to grow spiritually. The second group of people that it really helps are people who are not sure if they believe. I took a doctor from uh, Vanderbilt University. Vanderbilt's um, a very prestigious university. He's a top MS doctor. And uh, he was wavering on whether he believed in Jesus or not. 
when we went to Israel, uh, we ended up baptizing him in the place where King David would go and hide from King Saul. It's called En Gedi. We baptized him there because he was so convicted by being there and seeing the evidence and, and all of that. So if you're interested, next Sunday after second service, we'll be talking about that. How about I lead us in a word of prayer and then Wayne, you'll take over or Curtis, which one of you are taking over? Okay, Curtis is. Let's pray. God, I pray for this church family. I pray and ask that you would help uh, men and women to walk out of here today with a resolution to spend more time in your word. Lord, I didn't persuade them about why they would do that. I just talked to them about how to do that. And I pray and ask that you would take my words and apply it to their hearts to help them to grow. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Let me ask you this. Actually, I just thought of this. How many of you would be willing to commit for the next five days to try this method? For the next five days. Well, God bless you for that commitment.